Hey everybody and welcome back to Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed clinical social worker Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed clinical psychologist Dr. Jessica Rabin. And I'm licensed psychologist Dr. J. This week's topic, we're talking all about parenting and mental health. I can't wait to talk about it, so settle in, take a seat, and welcome to Group Therapy. Woo! Sadly, this week we are missing the most chaotic doctor of the group. K10, she is not here, and I'm not really sure what she's doing. She's probably getting stuck in some wormhole in Wikipedia, but Mm. I digress. I digress. Mm. Instead, let's reflect on last week's episode, which was all about imposter syndrome. I hope anyone who listened to that episode was able to take away something from it to help their own imposter syndrome. I know I took some stuff away from hearing from you guys, but let's hear about some of the people who left comments on our post. Okay. So the reflection question was, is to give us one way that has helped you cope with your imposter syndrome. So there were some pretty good answers. One person said that they use affirmations like, I am capable, I know what I'm doing, I belong here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone else said that when they hear feedback from their supervisor or from their coworkers, that really helps them. Um, someone said that they do EMDR, RDI, and that's nope. been helpful for theirs. Someone else said that they fact check themselves and quote other people's compliments to themselves backwards. I mean, not backwards, back to them. Like, yeah. repeat it back to help with their own self-esteem. So those were pretty good. And then there was other people who were like, I'm just here to take notes. <laughs> they were just here hoping that they would. I love that. Crowdsource. So I feel so like a lot of our posts are like that. Yes, that people absolutely. can take notes and learn. Absolutely. No doubt. So this week we're talking all about parenting and mental health. And honestly, that's a pretty broad topic. I mean, we could talk about the impact of mental health on parenting. We could talk about the impact of our parents' mental health on our own upbringing and our own mental health. We could talk about the impact of our own mental health on our parents' parenting. So where do we even start with this? The layers. The layers. I also wanted to acknowledge the three of us that are here all have a child Mm. Mm -hmm. yes we do there there's that like the first thing coming to my (laughs) mind was almost like what did you think parenting was going to be like versus what it's actually like well and even then like the impact of what like when you said that i'm like what my impacting of what i thought my parenting was going to be like because of what my knowledge of parenting was as a as specifically as a mother versus Mm -hmm what I'm actually doing as a mother and kind of unpacking and repacking all of that, Mm -hmm. which has been insane because my kid is the oldest and he's only five Mm -hmm. out of the three of us. And like, I still think like everything is so new. I'm like, I still don't know. Like sometimes I'm like, I still don't know what I'm doing, but okay. I, a few thoughts came to mind, Justin, when you said that. Like the first was, you know, as a pediatric psychologist, like logically, I know what to do. I don't work with little kids as much anymore, but I did used to do like a lot of parenting. But when it comes to being a parent myself, I'm like, what do I do? Like I would always go to the pediatrician, especially in my daughter's first year of life, and just be like, I don't know. Like, is this normal? What is the developmental milestone? Even though, like. If I was in like my psychologist seat, I could tell you those things. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind is like 
parenting is always changing. And I know, Justin, our kids are only a couple months apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the first few years of life, like they are rapidly growing and changing. And KBI, obviously, you can pipe in on the next three years <laughs> post <laughs> Justin and I. Um, and it's like, oh, I finally got this down. And then the next day, whatever you got down doesn't work anymore or they're moved on to something else. Like finally when I'm like, okay, I think we're on like a normal, like, I don't know, sleep routine. Suddenly she dropped a nap or then you introduce solids. It's yeah. It's a wild ride. I don't know. What about you, Justin? I think it's just been, it's been real surprising. Like again, it's like any situation in life where you can think you are going to be one way, but then when you actually live it, it's far different. Like I find myself far more anxious than I am about myself or a lot of other things in my day-to-day life. Like my son just started going to daycare and I find myself worrying and being like much more catastrophizing if they don't use the little app and give me a little update on whether he napped or not today. I'm like, well, what are are they covering something up? Did something happen in here? Like it's so wild. Like if you would have told me how I – like, Justin, predict how you're going to be as a parent. I wouldn't have imagined how I am. And that's given me a shit ton of compassion. Like, just in the mm-hmm. last two and a half years, a lot of compassion for parents of, like, when you put all your energy into this being, and again, I know that's not always the truth for parents or whatever, but you do it will mess with you in ways <laughs> that you didn't think – were possible. So I've been, however you might predict you're going to be as a parent, I'm just letting you know, you may find out you're wrong. No. And I agree with that. So you guys know how unrelaxed I am, right? I am Mm. probably one of the most chill parents. My kid falls and smacks his face. I'm like, are you good? You're not bleeding. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Stand up. It's okay. (laughs) It hurt. I know. But like, I am like the most relaxed parent now granted now my my child and this is something that i talk about on my page my child has autism i am a not relaxed advocate Mm -hmm. so i am a fierce advocate for my child in that capacity but like when it comes to like you know trying when i was when he was trying peanut butter for the first time or trying solid foods and like you know a lot of parents get fearful of like allergies and things and i was like i mean we're we're five minutes from from the hospital. We're okay. Like, meh. Oh, okay. He, yeah, you're fine. Like, I just like that. That surprised me because in every other aspect of my life, right. I am so unrelaxed. And so, like, the like my my thing is like, fuck around and find out. Like, you're gonna go do that. Like, you're gonna find out real fast. Like, and and like, I mean, I don't let my kid climb up on the top of the refrigerator, but like, mm-hmm. I'm like, if you're gonna fall, it's gonna hurt, and you're gonna learn. Mm-hmm. Like, natural consequences. It's, it's, yeah, and it's it that for me that has surprised me in my own anxious and like kind of my own traumatized background of having a parent, like having a parent who was not really involved I thought that I was actually going to be more intense and kind mm. of go to that opposite end whereas I feel like I have found a nice middle ground for myself that's awesome I am not a relaxed parent <laughs> I would not, not surprising I would, anybody no 
I will say now that you were just talking, something that has surprised me is I'm much more maternal than I thought I would be. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always wanted kids, but I have always said like, I will never be a stay at home mom. I want to work. And I like never really expected to be as maternal. Justin, you sharing about daycare. Like I cried for the entire week leading up to my daughter going to daycare. Like I, the thought of going back to work, leaving her with strangers, um, even though we had gone Mm. to the daycare, like it was very highly um, recommended, but I cried and cried and cried. And that was something I didn't expect either. Like I were in the United States, so I took the full 12 weeks of maternity leave. And prior to that, I was like, I probably only need eight. I'll take the 12 because I can do it. But like, I'll want to be back at work. And I hated every, like, Mm. the week leading up to going back to work. Um, Yeah, that's something that surprised me. One question I was going to pose to you all is, I guess it's a two-part, is the way that you were raised, like, impacting how you're parenting and you all being therapists, psychologists, interacting with people and families, has that influenced the way? that you parent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just a great reflection point. Am I paying for just therapy right now? Know, that, right? that got me in my <laughs> thoughts. Like I'll, Venmo, I'll Venmo you $10. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Worth far more than that. But no, I think, I think unconsciously, mm. like we move in directions again, sometimes it's overcompensating for what we didn't have or what we had. And sometimes we're unconsciously repeating. And so I, if I were to like think about my own movement, I'm much more heller, helicoptery. And it's because both my parents worked and were full-time school. And I felt like we're so busy, like they were trying to make ends meet, but they often weren't around, like, especially once I got towards like 10 years old, my mom was a full-time student. My dad worked long hours. And so it was a lot of like, um, crock pot meals, like eating on the go. Like again, not mm. when I get home from school, no one would be there. And so mm. that was just the nature. Like it, it, we just had to work hard to like make ends meet in that way. Like there was no like traditional family meals. Like once my mom was full-time student, um, but like, I know they were doing the best they can. And it's like, I think about how I am now. And it's like, I am in a co-parenting situation, which I don't mind talking about more. But when I have my son, it is like full go. It's like, I almost feel like I clear the schedule, like everything is wide open. And my time with him is just me and him the whole time but that that also has consequences <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it, someone told me this before he was born it's like it will feel like whatever you do is sort of the wrong thing and will push them in the wrong direction and like yeah. I, I it does feel that way of like i'm so helicoptery is this gonna have a bad impact like he can't do anything mm-hmm. on his own but i digress yeah no, I I mean, it has definitely impacted my parenting. I mean, I'll be transparent and say that for the longest time up until I got pregnant with Oliver, I did not want children. 
Mm. I because mm. in my thing, I was projecting that I did not I, at that time when I got pregnant, I was convinced that I was just going to be like my mother. So mm-hmm. I did not want to I did not want to do that to my child. So I was not going to have kids. Now, you know, things happen. And I have I have a beautiful son. And I realized that my parenting journey was more about healing myself than it was about being a parent and healing the Mm -hmm. thought processes around being parent like being a parent so for me like I was like I'm not going and going to be like my mother and I bet you Mm -hmm. there are probably some listeners who either don't have kids yet and would like to have them in the future or have them now and they're like I don't want to be like my specific parent Mm -hmm. I'm not going to parent like them I'm not going to do things like them I'm going to do everything the complete opposite And what I had to come to terms with is not everything that my mom did was bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would have moments where something would come out of my mouth and I would be like, no, that's, that's Darla. Mm. Oh, but I had to remember Mm -hmm. like what I just said actually wasn't bad, but because I associated everything with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to re kind of reframe and restructure my entire thinking about what being a parent was and that, you know, my, my mom never really bought me gifts ever. And not that gifts mean anything, mm-hmm. but like there was never a card on my birthday. The gifts were not thoughtful when like it was, it was this weird thing. And so like I went to the complete opposite and I bought my kid everything, mm-hmm. too much of everything. And so I had to remember, like, no, I don't need to go that far. He doesn't mm-hmm. need 45,000 yeah. gifts at Christmas just because I don't want to be like this parent. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't – I'm allowed to hold him accountable. I'm allowed to say these things and really kind of just reframe that. And I hope that anybody listening who's kind of going through something like that, that sometimes it, for me it was taking a step back and and really asking myself – do I think that this is bad parenting because I just associate this with this one person or mm-hmm. is this actual not great parenting? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was something really important for me to come to terms with because I also had a really great parent, um, mm-hmm. my dad, who was a really great parent to learn from. And I was so focused on the bad and and so terrified of being the bad that I forgot that I also had this good to look to. Mm-hmm. I love those insights, KBI. And I mean, I think our parents or guardians, whoever the adults are in our lives that raise us definitely shape how we parent, good, bad, mm-hmm. trying to do the same, trying to do the opposite. I know for me, particularly working with kids and teens and seeing the vast variety of family makeups, Mm. single parent homes, kids Mm. living with grandparents, relatives. I feel like in many ways, getting that unique perspective of seeing and working with so many different families has really helped shape how I want to parent and how I do parent. Because, you know, yeah, we we can compare, you know, how our parents raised us to our friends, but you're living in the house. Like what your parents – like that's your worldview. And I think we're all in a unique position as mental health professionals to get the worldview of so many other people. And through my time in grad school and, you know, in my job now, 
seeing so many different family makeups and seeing parents that are phenomenal and like do things that I would have never considered. I'm like, oh, I want to take that tip. And then on the other hand, seeing parents that are absent or, you know, great grandparents raising young children because the grandparent and the parent were unable to and seeing them struggle and things like that, I think more so has shaped kind of pieces that I want to take into my parenting and don't want to take into my parenting. Totally. I think that's, this is a question and maybe it's, it's so layered, it's hard to answer, but it's on TikTok, social media, in all places, I often see people just either bashing their parents, which we all have the right to mm-hmm. do. Again, we, we should vent our experiences and we have the right to express that. And talking about bad parenting, what the hell is good parenting? Mm-hmm. What, 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 I'm, and I mean that genuinely. Like, yeah. Do I have some ideas? I have some ideas. But to listeners out there, I think it's far easier to talk about all the ways our parents have screwed up then what is good? What comes to mind? And I guess we have an expert on the panel to answer this one, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from both of you. I wish I could remember because I just saw, I was at work today and I saw, I was, I was covering in another region and I was sitting in my coworker's office and I, I'll have to take a photo and post it to the stories the, the week that this episode comes out because it like gave six ways to show up for your child. Mm. And, mm. and like I was like damn and like it's like building trust with your child communicating mm. with your child checking in with your child mm. like we're all like and one of the things is like we're all gonna screw up mm. at some mm-hmm. point I'm absolutely. a therapist and do you think I've yelled at my child absolutely because I am human and we're gonna screw up I think from like learning to apologize to your mm-hmm. kids and actually apologize and take mm-hmm. accountability. So when I when I've yelled at my child and I've been like, "Ooh," I have immediately gotten down to his level and say, and I've said, "Baby, I am really sorry. I did not mean to yell at you. Mama just got really frustrated, and it was not okay that Mama yelled at you." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I work to develop. I say, and then I'll say, "Like, can we take three deep breaths together?" And he'll take deep breaths with me. It's so cute, but yeah. like. It's showing up sometimes for your kid, even and and I even in just small ways because you know barriers make that really hard, um, you know different classes make that really hard, all of that. And so sometimes it's even like if I just ask you how your day is and I actually sit down and listen, mm. like that goes further. Like I always say, like that goes further mm-hmm. than buying your kid a present. Absolutely. When you ask that question, Justin, you know, obvious things like keeping your kids safe, you know, mm-hmm. there, you can name the basic things like having a roof over the head, feeding. But in all my years of experience, like at the end of the day, the families that I have seen that are the closest, most open with one another, um, like good parents in the sense that their kid trusts them, talk to them, it doesn't matter social class resources things like that it's the things that kbi was listening uh, listing like open communication learning how to apologize um you know building that trust setting you know 
good examples of things, modeling positive behavior. I really think, you know, boundary setting, implementing consequences that make sense um, because you don't, and we could get into parenting types, but you don't want to be like a permissive parent that just lets your kid do whatever, but like setting expectation. Um, a thing for me is setting your child up for success to be a successful adult, whatever that looks like for them. So being able to do basic life skills and things like that, assuming they have the capability to do so, because I realize not all individuals do. Um, My sister and I talk about this a lot. Like I remember being a teenager and being like, my parents are so strict. Like my friends are allowed to do X, Y, or Z. Why are my parents not like that? And now as adults, my sister and I are both like, we are actually very well-adjusted adults. Like we all have our own stuff, but like I'm a psychologist. She's a social worker. Like we both have advanced degrees. We're both married, you know, own house. Like we – and I know those are all – and I'm not saying everybody has to achieve those things in life, but based on what we wanted to achieve, we were able to succeed in those things because our parents raised us a certain way. And even though in the moment, especially in teenage years – I could have fought them on it. <laughs> I could have been like, why are you like this? Like, you know, so-and-so's parents are like this or they let them do this. And so I think it's hard to define a good parent because it's also what is good for the family, mm-hmm. what is good for like cultural perspective. You know, mm-hmm. I my family comes from a culture that you do want your kids to move out of the house and things like that. Not all cultures are like that. Um I don't know. I think there's basic things, but I think that's such a loaded question. What are some of your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, now you're making me reflect on my own culture and how I can tend to lean heavy individualistic because that's how my family was, um, which is always a helpful reflection of like, oh, why do I feel this way? But I I can tell you like, this is just a small thing. My kid's only approaching two and a half. But if there's one thing I could give a shit about, it's cars. I am, people joke all the time, like, they're going to be, like, sports guy and, like, you know, science guy and, and whatever. These different, and then there's car guy or whatever. Justin's water guy. Um, <laughs> I wish. I wish I was Beach like, well, guy. Beach guy. Whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can call them archetypes. You can call them interests. Yeah. Whatever you want to call them. But, like, the one thing I could give a literal fuck is about cars. I do not care. I drive a Kia because I do not care. It's affordable, best warranty, and I don't have to worry about it breaking down. My kid fucking loves cars. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. Of course, right? Any car that's going down the road, he's he has a mi- million toy cars. That's all he wants and play with, and he's learning their little names. And if a big dump truck's running down the road, he'll like want me to grab him real quick so we can run out and watch it go by. I, it's just, it's so fitting because it's also like challenging me of like, it often feels like parents try to create a mini me. Mm -hmm. And again, you're going to hear a little bit of individualistic kind of viewpoint here on this, but with the teens I work with and a lot of the things I see when there's a big clash, I will feel that tension coming from the parent of, are Mm -hmm. you embracing the uniqueness of the Mm -hmm. child that you have? versus with believing you have all the answers that will fit this unique biology personality in completely different human being Mm -hmm. that you've, Mm -hmm. yes, raised, 
and influence, but is not you. And that's something I'm very, I'm trying to internalize that of like, Mm -hmm. everyone can think in their mind of like, what if I had someone to play basketball with and go shopping with? And listen, we do this. We do this. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you're having a free spirit, unique being. And Mm -hmm. I don't think people really get that. And being a therapist Mm -hmm. to teens, I see that a lot of like, this is a completely different human. They're, they're, There's a great mm-hmm. chance they're going to be nothing like you. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just trying to embrace that. I don't know what that means, but I, I'm trying to internalize that. Well, I'm in a similar position. So again, like my son has autism mm. and I wasn't, I mean, I don't know what I was prepared for, you know, having a child, but I like in my head, I wasn't mm. prepared to have a child with autism. I just wasn't mm-hmm. when I, when, right. when he got his diagnosis, I had a full blown meltdown, not because he had autism, but because I didn't know how to parent a child with autism. Mm-hmm. I'd already, I'd, mm-hmm. in my head, I was parenting a neurotypical child, but mm-hmm. I, but I really wasn't. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's like I could continue my life pretending and putting my own will on my child, again, putting my kid in soccer because, you know, five year olds, they're playing soccer, they're going to mm-hmm. dance, gymnastics. Mm-hmm t-ball, whatever, right? That's mm-hmm. quote unquote the common thing. But instead, my kid's taking piano lessons at five years old and playing for Elise because my child is hyperlexic and has a hyper focus and a special interest in letters and numbers. Mm. So instead of forcing him into basketball, which has little to nothing to do with letters and numbers other than a person whose A is moving over here on the scoreboard, I'm making, I'm getting him to read music notes that are all the first, like A is his favorite letter. Mm. Like, and so I had to shift my parenting perspective because I could very much just push my own will and trying to fit my circle child into a square hole. Sure. And, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes parents really struggle with that. I was, I was called what they call a Hollister emo kid. (laughs) Yeah. Where I I was not allowed to, I was not allowed to dress the way that I wanted to mm. because my parents didn't approve of it. I would love mm-hmm. to wear all black. I was wearing – I was the clothes I was allowed to get were not like – I just – like my senior year in high school was just allowed to wear band t-shirts. Like I – like don't even think about wearing a pair of ripped jeans. Like mm-hmm. don't even think about wearing all black. And so it was it, – that was just – they instilled that in me. And it wasn't until like, you know, I, I've grown up and I've had more control and I've even had like that impact of that I've had to unpack and really come into my own because of that. And so I think that that is important is also like as parents or as individuals who've had parents understanding the power that that has on our Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we don't allow our children to have... When we don't allow our children to have kind of a little bit of free will, like if my child, like we're working on picking out clothing now, my child came and picked out brown shoes with maroon pants and a bright red fire truck shirt. None of it really matched, but why did it matter? It didn't, like in my head, it didn't match, right? Mm -hmm. And I could have fought him on it. Sure, sure. But I'm letting him have free will. I'm letting him make mm-hmm. choices. And I think some parents are so scared to let their 
children, their teens make their own choices because they don't want to see them fail. Most mm-hmm. parents, like, yeah. I, I don't want to see my child fail, but I know my child's going to fail because that is mm-hmm. life. And so when we don't give our children space to be themselves, space to be creative, space to express themselves in that way, they hold it all in. And it usually doesn't come out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think, I guess the underlying theme that both of you all are hitting on is going back to your question about being a good parent is a is a parent guardian that allows their child to be their own person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recognizing that they might not have the same interests as you. They might not have the same values mm-hmm. as you. And I would argue like, yes, during the first 18 years when they're still under the roof, there does have to be something like if the kid doesn't value school, but you have to go to school because if you mm-hmm. don't, you're going to get truancy charges. Like, yes, there are certain situations that maybe parents do need to like be like, I know this is not a value of yours, but you still have to follow through. But, you know, music taste um, – you know, I think of topics like religion, politics, mm-hmm. uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, like all of those stuff, like recognizing when you become a parent, you are accepting your child for who mm-hmm. they are and the person that they are going to become. And KBI, to your point, that can be hard. Um, my daughter is only newly two. Um, so at this point, yeah, her interests are like music and stuff. And, you know, I am – a little tired of hearing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed, but that's what she likes right now. So we're going to listen to it. So I haven't entered the phases of, you know, kind of battle values, but, you know, she really likes to wear dresses with jeans, which I know was a thing like in the 90s. I'm just going to let her because why not? You know, and she likes hair bows and I am not girly at all, but, you know, she's her own person. And, they're just going to become more of their own people mm-hmm. as they get yeah. older. I mean, I will say that I will only accept my child's favorite band to be made a parade and there will be no negotiation <laughs> about it. That is that is my hard stop. Don't care. Just kidding. He can he can like whatever music he wants except for Nickelback. He won't <laughs> that in my house. I, I feel like you set yourself up for them to be a diehard Nickelback fan. Probably. Like, I, just... I will say he is he he did come to me and he was singing Everywhere Everything by Noah Khan. So he's like, Everywhere, everything. I wanna love you till we're food for the worms. And I was like, Oh my god. I'm like, I love you, but please don't go to school and sing that song. It's so it's yeah it there's so much that goes into it and the dynamic you form and this was just you get so much unsolicited parenting advice oh my oh my god if there's anything anything everybody can feel like they're an expert and mm-hmm. this is something I hope I don't do to other people because I got some of the best wisdom I've ever got in my life from a guy that did a ton of maintenance at my house. That guy was so amazing. But he he looked at me right before uh, my child was born. And he's like, I'm going to tell you something right now. He's like, I have three kids. Every single one of them, I had to parent differently. He's like, whatever somebody tells you about what you should do with their parent, no, it's bullshit. It's just what they did with their mm-hmm. child. 
Yes. And that really resonated with me because I specifically thought about the differences between me and my brother. We were night and day. So it's like if somebody came, like if my, if, if my dad went to someone and was like, hey, this is how you should, who are you talking, for who? For who are you talking about? But I think this is the interesting dynamic with human beings in general. There isn't one way to be a great parent. And y'all named big things mm -hmm. that I tend to agree with, right? Communication matters, engagement matters, building trust and trying to create open feedback, listening, like those things do matter. But at the same token, anyone who's like, well, for my child, they had to have that strict bedtime routine. And it's like, you don't have my child though. You had mm -hmm. your child. But everyone loves to project that every single child's the same and it's insanity. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that can definitely make you feel like an inadequate parent or going back to the topic of mental health, you know, if you see all this parenting advice and you're like, that doesn't work for my kid, uh, mm. I'm stressed out, what is the right way to do it? You know, that's overwhelming. Um, totally. Or even going back to your original question, Justin, of like, I don't even remember how you worded it, but you know, what was different? What surprised you about parenting? Like, how did you expect a parent? You know, I had in my mind, like, oh, we're going to, you know, read every night and she's going to be in bed by this time. And you all know, like, I texted you all five minutes before we get jumped on the recording. And I was like, I was still struggling to put her down. <laughs> like, I'll be totally. there when I can. And, you know, and then some night she goes down great. And she's always been a, a really good sleeper or even just like feeding or, you know, and there's so many, like, baby wed leaning versus purees mm. and, you know, and sure, KBI, like then as kids get older, you were talking about like piano. Do I put my kid in sports? Do I do art class? And people will give you advice. And, you know, as a parent, that's something I had to come to terms with. Like at the end of the day, she is my child and my husband's child. And as long as mm. we are on the same page with how to parent, at least majority of the time, he is much more relaxed than I am. Um, but with the core things, like that's what matters, that she's happy, healthy. And also, like I think about generational differences, totally. how we were raised. We were raised in a completely different world yes. than right. teenagers and kids now are being raised. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then so, how our parents were raised. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, just in the technological differences. Life-changing, really. I mean, my parents didn't have AOL chat rooms when they were teens. I did. Unsupervised. Aim away messages. Like, like yeah. those are, and those things really impact. Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, really impact, especially if they're not monitored or whatever they are, mm -hmm. like, they impact the differences. Like, why are you on your phone so much? And what may, and like, my parent maybe they they called their friends on the landline but a lot of our friends like i mean with you guys on the on this podcast i mean we do we ever talk on do we ever talk on the phone never ever no. i don't think i've spoken on the phone with any of you like no. maybe once other than twice. facetime but like yeah it's yeah but like we're we're always texting mm -hmm. and like the connection there is so different and like that impacts the parenting aspect. Absolutely. I, I agree. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting going forward because 
like I know we're all in the same sort of generational bubble, but we've had technology for the majority of our life. But I still think mm-hmm. there'll be a point where my son's like, Dad, I'm I'm in my hologram right now. And I'll be like, damn, do I really do I really want to get a hologram and understand this thing? And I get now being like approaching 40, I have sympathy for these older generations who are like, I don't really want to learn and get this hologram, but I'm going to try as long as I can mm. because I know if I don't, I have no idea what your world's like. So Absolutely. I'm going to do my best, but I think realistically there'll be a point where I'm like, I don't really want to make a hologram. <laughs> Wait, is this like, are you talking about like being a hologram or are you talking about like, like Listen, is this a toy? I'm anticipating the future. Of something that are you talking about Michael Jackson exist. hologrammed on tour, or I'm just, I, I, I guess when I his kid like, gets his flying car, that's, that's a hologram. Right. Okay, and Justin okay. has I'm to like, jump I'm into so, it. I'm like Justin lost me, and I was like, is this like a new fad toy for two year olds? Because I'm like, my five year old hasn't picked up on this toy yet. I don't want this toy. I was thinking more of like the meta world because I do okay. think even yeah. though that's not taking off, I think it will. I think it will eventually. Mm-hmm. It will be like Ready Player One where we'll jump into this other world and we have our hologram or person that's like running around. Like I think I can foresee that. That seems inevitable. But I'm like I get being older and being like, ah, I don't really want to. <laughs> like I just- that, is, that is me right now. My kid is picking up board games and we're like playing Shoots and Ladders in Candyland and he has this Monopoly Discover game and it's like everything is a dollar. It's made for like four-year-olds. And he comes to me and goes, Mama monopoly discover play tonight please and i'm like i would rather stab myself in the eye than play that game can we play candyland please like candyland was my favorite we just do that one because that requires a child mental effort you know what always takes a lot of mental effort (laughs) reading research reading research uh absorbing the vast knowledge <laughs> database that is you reached for that one so hard <laughs> this you, is the best transition you, ever because it's horrible did you, pull, did you pull a muscle trying to reach for that one because i'm concerned i'm i'm on the injured reserve now i'm out like i won't be in the starting lineup after that injury god <laughs> I hope everybody to Google Scholar Shorts of this. Wow. That was so bad. Um, So bad. What do you got for us this week, Jess? Yeah, so the three of us sitting here and our group members likely know that ineffective parenting practices, such as corporal punishment, Mm. lead to negative mental health outcomes for children. Correct. We've not me. Not we all me know just that. Just posting a video on spank on on spanking on my Instagram page. Mm-hmm. No, exactly, exactly. So yes, spanking, corporal punishment, permissive parenting, things like that. So I'm gonna pose a question to you all before I get into the research. So what reasons or like mediating factors come to mind when you think of why that may be? Like why are ineffective parenting practices bad for? mental health of children. Just throw some out there. It puts kids in fight and flight. Mm-hmm. It okay. models negative behaviors mm-hmm. okay. or, unhel- or unhelpful behaviors or unhelpful coping. 
Yeah, and doesn't model effective coping. It doesn't yeah. model mm-hmm. what you should do. It's like mm-hmm. when you're upset when you're 18, are you going to spank your teacher? So <laughs> what, what What are you learning? I'm sorry. That, that's always the I know that was thing. not <laughs> – it's like, what? but that's true. It's that's true. true. It is. It's true. Yeah, it is. I'm like, I you always, I always you. say like on my, on these videos that I make about anti-spanking, like the only spanking that we, that we approve is consensual adult spanking. It's valid. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's uh, the only kind that we approve of. It's valid. But like, yeah. no, I, I think it's also like, depending on what the punishment is, that corporal piece is you, your child mm-hmm. doesn't, you're not building respect. You're building fear. Right. And those are two different things. And that goes back to the fight or flight that Justin said, is that your child, when they're (laughs) around you, you know, with my mom, I walked on eggshells. I constantly Mm -hmm. was wondering if if this step was going to be the one that set her into an emotional spiral. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that. Because I think a lot of what you all named is what we consider. We think of more like the trauma responses, modeling poor coping. Have you ever considered parental rejection or self-efficacy mm-hmm. playing a role I in those relationships? That. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out more <laughs> here. Tell, so, us, tell us more, Jess. So Wu and colleagues um, did a study looking at parenting practices and adolescent mental health. Um, And this came out in 2023, so January of this year. So we know a lot of research has examined how ineffective parenting practices such as inconsistent discipline, corporal punishment, and poor monitoring negatively impact children's mental health. And we know effective parenting practices have positive impacts. So the goal of this study was to understand the possible mediating effects of self-efficacy as well as parental acceptance rejection on the relationship between ineffective parenting practices and adolescent mental health. Um, So this was a cross-sectional design survey for our group members, and it looked at 761 Malaysian adolescents. And the reason they did it in a Malaysian population was because even though ineffective parenting practices are usually discouraged in like more westernized cultures, like in the U.S., Asian Indian cultures tend to still use more of like the corporal punishment, things like that. Um, 468 females, 293 males, and then adolescents completed surveys about their mental health, parental acceptance and rejection and ineffective parenting practice as well as self-efficacy. Another interesting thing about this study was they looked at both fathers and mothers separately because there's a lot of research to indicate that the, the gender of the parent may also have an impact. Mm-hmm. So when looking at fathers, they found that more paternal ineffective parenting practices were associated with more perceived paternal re- rejection. So the adolescent feels like their father is rejecting them, which in turn influenced and increased mental health problems. Similarly, um, more paternal Um, ineffective parenting practices was associated with decreased self-efficacy, which Mm. was linked to poor adolescent mental health. Interestingly, they found the same exact pattern for mothers. So there was no difference in what parent it was, assuming obviously a opposite gender parent household. So adolescents who experienced more ineffective parenting Um, strategies were more likely to perceive themselves as rejected by their parents, in turn lowering the mental health, 
And the authors really talked about how we all have a need for love and acceptance. And if adolescents feel rejected by their parents, that need is not met. They feel emotionally deprived, which is going to lead to psychological maladjustment. And then they also talked about how when parents employ um, ineffective parenting practices, such as corporal punishment, adolescent self-efficacy may be threatened, making them less likely to believe in their own agency and competency. And if we don't Mm. believe that we're competent or can achieve things on our own, that's going to negatively impact our mental health. Yo. Wow. It makes sense. And that's what I was going to say is like for the listeners out there, how would you define self-efficacy? Not to put you on the spot. How would I define? Are you asking our our group members? No, uh, no, no, no. I was asking you, Jess. Oh, oh, okay. Well, you're just like the listeners out there. Um, I don't, actually don't have the article pulled up to see how they defined it. Um, but I, I think of self-efficacy as your ability to um, advocate for yourself, complete certain tasks, feel like you can do things independently and on your own. Per- okay. Yeah, I was aligned with mm-hmm. you. I was like, it's it's basically your yeah. confidence that you can do something, do yeah. new things, mm-hmm. take on new challenges. So it, it's so interesting to see that plummet with these parenting styles, and especially in a sample where – Again, yeah, in our culture, it can be really uh, a lot of the practices you named could or is more demonized, but they can be more common mm-hmm. uh, in Asian culture. And I've heard that before. And I've and I've heard mm-hmm. requests before from people of like, well, what about in Asian culture? Like, do the results still hold? Is it still mm-hmm. are these parenting styles still badly? Because it's common. Like I hear people say, it's common, you know, in the culture I come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because when I think a lot of those parenting styles, and you all kind of hit on it, especially with like corporal punishment, you know, consequences for things. Um, and, you know, a lot of parents, and I, I mean, I'm generalizing here, implement those things because they think it's going to quote unquote teach them something and make them better, stronger. But this research showed Actually, you're just like breaking them down and making them feel like they can't do things on their own. It's going to lower their confidence. Um, And also the rejection piece. Like it makes sense. And that's the thing about research in our field. And I know you all probably have experienced this. Like once you hear it, you're like, oh, of course that makes sense. But if it's not studied, Mm -hmm. we don't know. And like KBI, you talked about like walking on eggshells and things like that. But thinking about like these parenting practices and being like, wow, my parents rejecting me. Like that mm. hurts mm-hmm. a child. Well, that comes that comes kind of circle around to what we were talking about right before this of like when your parent is trying to influence their will on the person you're trying to be. And right. like, again, you can't dress a certain way or you can't listen to certain music. It feels like, wow, my parent is rejecting me at my core. Or again, like LGBTQ youth and their parents are like, absolutely not. And they're, and, mm-hmm. and like, again, like they're rejecting me as a core human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fast. But know what we don't reject? We <laughs> I was going to try to ab- do a transition. 
The polls. The polls. Okay, so thank you all, as always, for participating in our polls. And I love that we've started doing more open answer questions. Um, Mm -hmm. I have not looked at them, so I'm excited to read them. So the first question for our group members, are you a parent? And the options were yes, no, and I desire to be, or no, and I don't desire to be. What you all think was the most what were the no's? No and I desire to be and no Desire and to be. Mm-hmm. I would say 30% no and I don't desire to be. I would say that there's okay. a pretty big chunk of our followers who are no, who want to be child-free by choice. I'm going to guess the opposite. I'm going to say no, but I would say around 30% says, but I desire to be. Okay, so... I was actually surprised by these poll results. KBI was the closest. So no and I don't desire to be was 32%. No and I desire to be is 40% and yes is 28%. I felt like that was like pretty even. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, that that is surprising. I know. I was surprised that it was that close. Um, And you guys be proud. I didn't play prices right rules. I know. And I still won. For now. And I still, yeah. Yeah, the key word is for now. Okay. Has the way your parents or guardians raised you impacted your desire to have kids? Options were yes, unsure, or never thought about it, and no. Yes. 58% yes. Say 70% yes. 65% yes. So... KBI still got it. Why? Because price is right rules. rules. We've never determined. You were the closest. (laughs) This is price Um, is right rules. Get out of here. We've never made a group decision on the official rules. We have been playing this way since we started guessing polls. I'm such a You've been playing this way since we started guessing polls. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Nobody Um, has denied it. That's true. Valid. 21% 21% said, unsure, I've never thought about it. And 14% said no. Hmm. Um, next question. Has the way your parents or guardians raised you impacted your mental health? Uh, options were yes, and it's overall positive. Yes, and it's overall negative. Yes, and it's a mix of positive and negative or no slash unsure. Yes, mixed, 58%. Oh, wow. We were right there. I was going to say, yes, mix 50%. Justin won via Price is Right rules. It's yes. I mean, and it's a mix at 56. 56%. We've always been playing Price is Right rules since the beginning. Am I I sore losing right now? I mean, I'm still (laughs) two and you got one. So, I mean, I'm still winning. I'm still getting the car at the end of this. That's true. You're spinning so, the wheel. What do you all think was the next one? So overall positive, overall negative, or no unsure? Overall negative. I I I would guess that, yeah. But but you're asking, it makes me second guess that. But I would say overall negative, yeah. No, it is at 34%. Yeah. And overall yeah. positive was only nine percent. And yeah. no that one unsure is so one. Sad. That's what I was thinking. So and sad. it kind of makes sense, though, for 
you know, people that choose to yeah. listen to a mental health podcast. Of course. Well, yeah. Um, There's that. Okay. If you are a parent, how has becoming a parent impacted your mental health? Mostly positive, mostly negative, neutral, or equally positive and negative, or I am not a parent. Equally positive and negative, 53%. Yeah, equally positive, negative, 42%. So I am not a parent was actually number one at 71%. Um, oh, like, <laughs> but, I don't know why. Yeah. Jesus. So, um, but equally positive and negative or neutral was the highest at fourteen percent. Next was mostly positive at eleven percent, and mostly negative was only four percent. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So even though our group members either had mixed or n- negative experience from their parents of the group members that have become parents, it's mostly positive or mixed. Okay. I'll be interested so to then, hear like I'll be interested to hear about this like episode because a lot of our followers aren't parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and what they'll take away from it. I think these questions will illuminate, but I, I'm jumping the gun. Get mm. the, we're still in polls. Still in polls. So our next question was a open box question that um I asked, what was the best thing your parent guardian did for your mental health or well-being? So like I said, I haven't read these yet, so we're just going to pick a few. A ton of you responded. So my mom listened to me and always asked how I felt. They made me realize I am capable of doing anything, encouraged me to do therapy, and respected my boundaries with what I talked with my therapist about. Um. Being clear about unconditional love, just being always there, um, have me self-confidence, start me in therapy early, uh, told me as a kid to do what makes me happy as I grow up, mm. showed me what not to do, tried to help understand my de- emotions, be there, um, physical touch, this is great. Actively and positively encouraging independence. Made it comfortable to ask any questions. Mm-hmm. A lot of you all answered therapy. Got me into therapy. Allowed hey. me to be me. We love that. Love that. Never felt judged. Okay. Let us make mistakes. Yep. Those are all great. Okay. And then the next question was, if you are a parent, what is one thing you do for your mental health or well-being as a parent? Um, I did look at these when you all were submitting. The vast majority of you said go to therapy. I swear. Mm. Like therapy, exercise, take breaks, exercise, not comparing myself, being in therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy, Um, get fresh air on my own, learn to take time for myself breathe, listening to podcasts, therapy, happy hour with non-parents, um, take time away from my kids. It's a non-negotiable. Uh, take breaks, check in with my partner, activities that are not about my children, exercise, self-care, mm. therapy, <laughs> have a time out even if it's only in a separate room for 10 minutes. Mm. Art. A lot of you said art too. Therapy. Take my meds. Therapy. 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 I love that so many of our group members go to therapy. I know. I want to highlight my favorite things in there is like other than therapy, obviously, is that people take breaks from their kids. Mm -hmm. 
I think that there's so Absolutely. much shame about that that gets perpetuated in the world. Like, oh my God, do you want to take a break? from? Yes, I, Susan, I want to take a break from my kid because he's been crawling over me all day. I need a I need a five mm-hmm. minute break in the bathroom. I will tell you the biggest the best piece of parenting advice that I got as my child was a newborn was it's okay to put him in his crib crying and sit in the bathroom for five minutes. He is not going mm-hmm. to die five minutes in his crib for you to go to the bathroom and recollect yourself mm-hmm. when you're feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely. And I was like, and I've embodied that like when I'm in a over sensory day. I take the bathroom is my favorite place because my kid actually doesn't bother me in there. It's really nice. But it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like we're allowed, like moms, dads, grandparents, if you're the parent or whoever is the custodial, it's okay to take that break, whether it's a day away, go on that weekend trip, like whatever that may be. Because I think that that Mm -hmm. allows us to remind ourselves that we are still a person outside of being a parent because we still are. Absolutely. So the last question was, this baddie K-10 will be out this week. Where will she be? Mm. And I know KBI didn't know, you know, at the beginning, but let's see what you all thought. We got a lot of good answers as well. Um, Cuddling with her puppies. Saturn buying rings for her besties, which is kind of funny because she talked about that project. In the imposter syndrome episode about like putting the wrong rings on Saturn I and know. Jupiter, I know. Oh, on a retreat with Elon Musk um, over in Florida, teaching how Justin how to put on chapstick. Um, I love that this to the is moon. still a thing. It will always be a thing. I welcome it. Getting a tattoo, trying out yeah. Jetty's sand foot washing technique at a beach, moving y'all's you know, phone chargers. <laughs> Moving y'all's phone chargers out of the bedroom to try to get you not to use them in bed. You know that people are listening to the podcast. Mm hmm. Another person said washing her feet on the beach with Dr. J. But Dr. J is here with us. So she is just doing it on her own. Listen, but I'm so Um, efficient at it. I'm so quick with it. She's still trying to figure it out, but I'm I'm just fast. Is it a lot of people also said sleeping? True, true. Mm. Eating candy corn. Ugh. Tattoos, tattoos. There's a ton of tattoos. Um, appearing professional over the phone. <laughs> That's how you know that someone watched my video. Yeah. See, this is what I love about reviewing KBI's dissertation draft. Yeah, that's not, that's not happening. But that's what I love about kind of our group members is you can tell so much of who has listened to the podcast, who sees our content on our other pages, because mm-hmm. that be appearing professional on the phone is a video that I made with K10 when we were in Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like that's what I that's what I love about some of these open ended poll questions, especially when people are out, because it gives our group members a chance to be kind of creative and to show us like, hey, yeah, let's, let's reflect back to the ADHD episode or whatever. And I love it. I do as well. Know what else I love? <laughs> Were you gonna do that, Justin? Yes, I was gonna say. Yeah, I'm, dang it. We both were on it. Except you were We love 
the group member questions. Oh, we love a good group member question. It's our favorite part. You know, some of us will say like, oh, the polls are great. Google Scholar Shorts is awesome. But if we're just being real for a moment, it's the group member questions. It's the best part of the show. It's why you listen. Some of you fast forward to get that part. Oh, we know. We know you do. But we always appreciate your questions. It's what drives the entire podcast. Matt from Indiana. What's the best way to break out of playing the role of a parent as the oldest sibling? I'm exhausted, besties. Great question. Did they direct that person, that question to me? Ouch. Or me. I was like, should I call my little sister right now and ask her, like, <laughs> how could I stop being your parent? Oh, I God. think a lot of it is, is realizing it's not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like as much as you want to, like, and reflecting why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Is it no. yeah. because you're in a situation where your parents put you in that situation? Or I think us oldest children kind of have that parental bone, but – I think reflecting why. Get curious, as Dr. J always says. Why am I doing this? What is the benefit? If you're exhausted, Matt, is it worth it? And what would be the consequences if you didn't parent Mm -hmm. your younger siblings? Mm -hmm. I mean – I'm 31 and I still parent my brother sometimes. I'm like, bro, I'll go stay with him. And I'm like, bro, can you vacuum your floors, please? Like, I know that you're single and you live by yourself, but vacuum your floors. But I think it's, I think like you said, like I have definitely let go a lot from when, um, you know, being teenagers, being early 20s, that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still... Because my brother is its a single 28-year-old male who barely knows how to cook for himself. So I'm still like, hey, bud, did you eat today? Did you, did you, did you mop your kitchen floors? When was the last time you did that? Um, but it is a, it's a hard role to get out of, especially if you are in a dynamic of a family where that has been your role for so so long Mm -hmm. like i like let's take it back to shameless right the tv show and fiona was the parent parentified child and absolutely i mean towards the like you know she left the show to go be like go do things on her own but at throughout that duration she started giving up being because she was so exhausted because she was keeping that ship um going And so it's, you know, at some point it's going, like, if you don't start to give up those things, it's going to break you. And you're just going, it's kind of like you're just going to rage quit and you're going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point you've got to name that truth. And other family members might not like that. You step Mm -hmm. away from that role, but this is, it could be individualistic again, but sometimes it is naming what you need to do for yourself if you really want to change your role in a family. But it, it yeah. yeah, other family members often don't like that when we change the mm-hmm. dynamic. That is a product, but 
Great question, Matt. Senzi, great name, from Arkansas. How do you forgive a parent when they have hurt you big time? I think y you do it like you don't and do you you can and I don't know if that's I'm trying to think of the words like you you can and you don't have to I think that that is <laughs> that's the reality you don't have to forgive a parent when they hurt you um, I think the way that you lead to forgiveness with a parent is their accountability in what they've done to have they apologized and their apology is followed by changed behavior. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are biggest pieces if you're looking to forgive them. But I am also a big piece of like, you don't have to forgive them if you're not in a place where you want to forgive them. And that can impact that relationship. And that's okay, even though it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one where the research is really interesting of like forgive. I like to think of forgiveness as a practice, meaning that, mm -hmm. and the research has shown this, is if you have the goal, again, if you personally had the goal, like I would like to forgive this person, parent, boss, it doesn't matter who it is. You, there's practices you can do to work to alleviate that and come to peace with it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of research shows that when people set that intention and move towards it, yeah, they feel that release. But the thing that often, again, it gets said a lot, but is not to be confused is like, just because you forgive a person doesn't mean you approve of what they did or what happened. Yes. Like forgiveness is us like releasing ourselves from, you know, being tied to this mm -hmm. and being like this anger, this hurt, this pain, I want to move on for me. Mm -hmm. And yes, mm -hmm. for some people, forgiveness is that path and it can be an effective path. Um, but yeah, it's it's never about saying what you did is okay. That, that ain't a part of it. But it can be internalizing a bit of what could have led to that. And again, mm -hmm. this is, it's an interesting thing when you dig into the data of people who decide to do a forgiveness practice and how it does benefit their mental health. Mm -hmm. If there was no data on that, if it wasn't research supported, it might feel like, ah, screw it. Why, why does that matter? But yeah. there, there is research on that. And I'll say for me, like as a recovering people pleaser, and this has to do with the, the question, but also not with parenting is when I, when people have asked for forgiveness, I've stopped saying, it's okay, I forgive you. I've stopped saying that phrase, it's okay. Because for me, it, for me, I realize that when I say it's okay, it's me telling them that it's okay that they did what they did. Mm. And so I had to like unlearn that, but it's also important, like you said, like that forgiveness is such a spectrum that it doesn't mean that I sit there and I prove of what you've done it means sure. that i'm moving through it to where i'm going to settle whether that is i'm going to continue this relationship i'm continuing this relationship with boundaries or i'm not going to continue this depending on what the level of hurt is totally and some people do forgiveness practice forgiveness practices for parents who are no longer here so mm -hmm. it's you know there's so much variation and layers to this but it, yeah it's like, how do you heal from trauma? 
It's like there's no one path and there's no one way to do that. Great question, though. Uh, Katie. Oh, Katie. I got a big smirk when I read what you wrote here. Katie put, uh, from California, now living in Ohio, where I'm from, sad face. They said I literally sad laughed. face that they are now in Ohio. Well, I'll I mean, tell I, you I what. I feel the same way. Uh, well, you know what, Katie? How's the cost of living, huh? Maybe we should flip that frown upside down because coming from California, what could you afford there? Probably nothing. In Ohio, I hope you got yourself a nice 15 acres, maybe a little pond. Listen, I, I can only say that because I went from Ohio. To, I did. I did in reality because I went from Ohio where everything was for, affordable and now I live in South Florida where nothing is. And my mom move from Ohio to California. And I, I I know there's lots of reasons why to leave Ohio, but cost of living is a beautiful reason to be in Ohio. Anyways, mm. thanks for your question, Katie. I had a good laugh at that part. Katie's question though, how do you know it's time to go no contact with a parent? I know KBI will have nothing to say here, so we'll go to Jess. But the other part of that is, and if you go no contact, can a relationship be resolved? So let's just go straight to Jess. Oh, yes, because that makes sense. Um, I mean, as somebody that hasn't gone no contact and obviously KBI, you can jump in. But I really think it's after you have tried everything else, whether that's forgiveness, whether it's distancing yourself, setting boundaries, and that parent continuously violates your boundaries, does not respect your decisions. And I think a big thing too is reflecting on why you want to go no contact, what that would do for your mental health, potentially your child's mental health. So I know, and um, obviously KBI, you can share as much or as little. I know you're open about this, but you know, Maybe it's not for yourself, but if you choose to have kids, maybe it is for your kids. Um, and I'm speaking as somebody that has not done this. You know, at the end of the day, you have to make the best decision for yourself, your family, protect your mental health, well being, energy. And it's not an easy decision. It's not one day you wake up and you're like, I'm going no contact. It's after years and years of trying different things and that parent is not respecting the things you are trying, not listening to your point of view, um, continuously hurting you over and over again. But I don't think there's a clear like this is when you do it because everybody's situation is different. And if you go no contact, can a relationship be resolved? I think once again, that's up to the relationship and going back to something KBI just said a few moments ago about forgiveness and seeing change. Now, if somebody does change and truly shows that, maybe if you're willing to do that. But once again, I think it's up to the relationship and the individuals. No, absolutely, Jess. I think you summed that up really nicely. Um you know, I talk about it a lot on my platform, so I'm not going to go into like, you know, I could talk about it for hours if I so if I wanted to. Um, 
But I, like Jess said, like going no contact isn't sometimes for a lot of people something that's thought of overnight. Now, there are some situations that no contact happens mm-hmm. that happens. It's immediately we're done because the concept, because the action was so like huge that the only option is to cut that contact. Mm. Most of the time it is, it is pieces that have happened over and over and over again, like you said, setting boundaries and they're disrespected and all of that. And it's usually the course of time. And I will tell you going no contact is probably one of the easiest and hardest choices I've ever had to make in my life. And probably anybody will tell you that who's gone no contact. It is the easiest because you know, like I'm done, but it is the hardest because you know, like, you know, I cut off my mom. Like I don't, I don't, I don't have a mom right now. And that is really hard. Um, I don't have a mom to share with my son's childhood. Now, granted the balance out of this is great. You know what? So I do think that, um, it does take time. And I think a lot of people don't understand what that looks like. And like you said too, Jess, like relationships can heal. No contact Mm -hmm. does not have to be permanent, but it is a personal choice of if that remains permanent. And one of the things that I tell people is, if you decide to enter into contact again, you also need to maintain your memory of how that relationship was prior. Because one of the things that I hear most often is, well, they started slipping back into old behaviors and I had to start all over. Mm-hmm. The important part is to constantly be vigilant, not to hold against if the person really has done the effort to change and you're really opening that up, I think that that's an important thing to be aware of is like, you know, keeping awareness while also letting the person show you that they've changed. And I think Mm -hmm. that that can be a hard balance to do. Um, And making sure that if you're going to enter back into that relationship, if it's been healing, that you're coming into that relationship with boundaries, that I'm not coming into it full-fledged 100 and it's going to go back to how it was. Because the reality is for a lot of people who enter back in that relationship, it's never how it's going to be ever again. It's just, it will always be different. Um, But that's, again, every person and every relationship is so different. Totally. Totally. It's such a great question. Uh, Brie from Florida. How do you make the decision to become a parent? And I'm going to sum up what you wrote, v- or Brie. Uh, I always thought I wanted to be a parent, but I have a lot of reservations. I am no contact with my sister because I do not feel safe in their presence. How can I decide? I thought this was really wise right here and interesting. But they say, How can I decide to become a parent knowing that I can do mostly the right things and my child might still end up harming others? That's a wise reflection. I'm just going to say that Mm -hmm. off the jump. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we do the best that we can. And always remembering that our children at the end of the day have free will. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes that is the hardest part about parenting is I can raise my child a certain way with certain values and blah, blah, blah. But that does not mean that they're kind of like we reflect, but way back again, that does not mean that they're going to have the same values as we do. Yeah. And I think as humans, we are all going to hurt or harm someone at some point. 
mm-hmm. like intentionally or unintentionally. Um, but as for like the decision of becoming a parent, I was reflecting, listening to Justin read this question, and I think I don't I don't know, and I would love to get y'all's perspective. I think if you absolutely know you don't want to be a parent, that's that's one thing. But I would also argue that even the people that desire to be the parents the most at their core also some have some worries, reservations. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for me, I always imagined myself as a parent. And when that pro- positive pregnancy test came up, I was like excited, but also like, oh, my gosh, like, can I do this? Can we do this? And so I don't know. I mean, there's some people listening that are probably like, oh, no, I absolutely 100% knew I wanted to be the parent. I had no reservations. But I don't know, Brie, just by how reflective you already are, I feel like if you want to be a parent, you're going to be a great one because you're already asking these questions. Yeah, the only thing I would add, I think a lot of times in life, we should move towards finding joy in the process of whatever we want to do versus being tied to an outcome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know anyone who wants to be a parent or anyone who's going to be a parent, if you say you don't picture what you want for your kids, you're a liar. But I think in the reality, it's more of asking yourself, do I want to engage in the process of parenting and not be tied to where that outcome might go? Because I agree Mm -hmm. and me and my brother were the perfect example of that. Our parents raised us. You can always say, oh, there's slight differences, oldest, youngest, fine, whatever. But he had severe mental health and had Mm -hmm. bipolar disorder and in and out of the juvenile detention system. I was the complete opposite. You know, I'm not a, wasn't a perfect kid, but I, we were night and day different. And so mm-hmm. you can't be tied to the outcome of mm-hmm. how you think your kid's going to be. To me, you have to be like, I know I want to be in the process of parenting. That's a hard mm-hmm. realization to accept, but I know it's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a lighthearted thing, but when you were talking about it, to bring home the point, I was talking to, this was a while ago, a nurse I work with, and we're just talking about naming kids. And he was like, when my wife and I were picking the our kids' names, we thought about all the possible situations they could be in. Are they going to be walking across the stage at graduation? Are they going to be in jail? And we're going to see their name on like a report. But the point is like, they were like, our kid can turn out to have all of these outcomes. I know we were talking about like naming a kid, but that was such a reflective moment for me because yes, we can picture like, oh, I want my kid to be, you know, successful in X, Y, or Z way. But at the end of the day, our kids are going to have their own path. Um, And there's a lot of factors out of our control as parents that's going to influence that. Absolutely. Yep. As KB said, free will, free choice. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves to blame the parents, but every parent out there knows how many choices do your kids make that you're like, I didn't, I never once wanted <laughs> them to do that. Or where did they learn that from? Even from a young age, you're like, where the hell? Uh, mm-hmm. Guys, I know you guys have, your kids are under three right now. 
wait until they get five and they're bigger and they really are making their own choices and you're like I can only like my kid my favorite is that the like I mean they start repeating things and you're like what the shit like my kid we were in the bathroom the other day at a restaurant and he was upset that he had to wait and he lays down on the floor and he goes Jesus Christ and I'm just like oh we're entering this phase now where where again like he's having some free Mm -hmm. will right now and I'm like well I wouldn't have done that but great now we're here cool Oh, there can be, honestly, there can be so much joy in those moments when you just are like, Mm -hmm. parenting is so, yeah, it's not, it's not a one-to-one. It's always thinking on your feet. It's interesting. You adapt. There can be, to me, there can be a lot of interesting things and hilarious moments. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously it really does bring all the things. We're going to talk more about that in a minute because there's another question that kind of addresses that. But Ashley from Pennsylvania I'm going to again sum up kind of what you said here, but my mom suffered from a psychotic break and left for a month without notice in my teens. How do I both talk to my mom and understand myself, the duality about the damage her mental health caused me, but also acknowledge and hold space that she was in a bad place too and did not intentionally try to hurt me? Wise duality question. is hard. I literally was about to say duality is hard. But the it fact is. that you already recognize it, Ashley, yeah. is a great first step. Uh, yeah. I'm like – I mean if I was a teenager, I was not recognizing that. I was just like, why the f- mm-hmm. did you leave? Um, so mm-hmm. I think that that is so amazing that you already are recognizing that duality because – then that allows you to hold space for both because you're allowed to hold space. You're allowed to be angry Mm. that your mom disappeared for a month Mm. and you're allowed to be angry that you didn't know where she was and she missed out on things and blah, blah, blah. But you're also allowed to be like, okay, my, my mom is also struggling over here. Right. It doesn't, it, Mm -hmm. I always say like things explain, they don't excuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't, the only thing I want to add, I don't know what your mom did in that month if she was seeking treatment. I hope your mom is doing better now. And if she is doing better now, getting help, like recognizing that and recognizing, you know, she has her mental health struggles and she is not her psychosis. Like she is mom. Her psychotic break hurt you. And like KB, I said, you're allowed to be hurt by that. And that was one month of your life. It's a very painful month. You are allowed to feel all the feelings around it. And your mom is still your mom. If your mom has done other things, if she's gotten help, it sounds like you want a relationship with your mom. And it can be hard to talk about, but I also think a lot of healing comes from expressing how you feel about those hard moments rather than holding them. And so if you haven't talked to your mom about it yet, you know, asking her if there's a good time to talk and just saying, you know, I've been reflecting on this. These are my emotions and I recognize you were struggling too and I want to work through this together. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome question. These are so reflective and they're only going to get even as reflective 
Amy in California, we won't ask about your cost of living. For me, a side effect of therapy has been wishing that I sometimes was a better parent. Is it hard to be a parent and therapist at the same time when you see so much damage done by parents day in and day out? I'm going to I'm going to say something right here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this to you, Amy. The fact that you even have the first part tells me you're a good enough parent. Because I can tell you right now that there's a lot of crappy parents. Again, no crappy people. We're all going through something. But crappy parents out there who could improve their parenting that aren't even saying, I sometimes wish I was a better parent. Mm -hmm. To me, Mm The fact that you even have that reflection that there could be things you improve, there could be things you do a little bit better, there could be mistakes that you made. Amy, it tells me you're you're likely a good enough. You're doing good enough. And if we had good enough parents that were reflective like that, hell, I think we'd be all right, Amy. And I really I really mean that. Yeah, I think the only thing I want to add is kind of reframing of a better parent to being able to do certain things better. Because like Justin said, the fact that you're in therapy, you're already reflecting, says that you're doing good at parenting and wanting to be better. Because I know there's so many times I'm like, oh, I wish I did this better. This is something that I can improve in. But there's also a lot of things I do great as a parent and reflecting on the things that you do do well at as a parent and identifying those areas mm. or those True. moments yep. I think can be helpful so you're not like beating yourself down. Like I need to be a better parent. Like, no, I am great at X, Y, and Z and I could improve in this area or work on not responding this way when my child does this. And that might help you feel better overall. No, absolutely. And, and I think, I mean – being a therapist, you know, has made me a better parent and a worser parent in some ways. Like it's made me a better parent, but I'm also waiting for the day where my kid is so emotionally intelligent that he comes to me. He's like, mom, I think you need to take some space and take some deep breaths. And I'm like, I don't need to take space. Like I'm just waiting for that, <laughs> like that moment where like my stuff comes back and bites me, um, which isn't a bad thing. I just know like in the moment, sometimes I'm going to be like, Ugh. but I think like, you know, being a therapist has really helped my parenting and like slowing down. And I find myself validating my child more. Like when he's frustrated, like my kid is finding his voice and starting to yell at me. So I'll say, buddy, like you're allowed to be frustrated. You're allowed to be mad at me, but we don't yell at people because that's, that's not very nice. That's not how we treat people. And so, you know, instead of saying we don't yell in this house, like Mm -hmm. that doesn't give that like you're just telling him that his emotion he can't express versus saying mm-hmm. you're allowed to be frustrated. We can express that, but we don't do that by yelling at people. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, it does have its benefits for sure. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And all of us need to be reflective. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm surrounded by therapists all the time, which is both a good and a bad thing, but like there's no person who doesn't have reflections to make in their own life, like we said before, mm-hmm. of ways you may be hurting someone, ways you might be short-sighting someone, or 
or just things you you could improve. But I I also agree. You also need to own the things you're doing well and build off those. Because mm-hmm. it's like, if you don't know, like we talked about earlier, what are some good parenting things? Yes, yeah, sometimes we have a bad reaction, but we made space for them to express themselves, as KBI was alluding to. Yeah, that can be mm-hmm. powerful. Powerful. Uh, this next series of questions was one I really wanted to make space for because it, it was asked from Brian, Illinois, Jen in Chicago, Karen in Slovakia, Des in Michigan. They, they were very similar questions, albeit different flavors, but the, all the questions were of this tone. I think I may want to be a parent. Some people said I desire to be a parent, but I have been diagnosed with a mental disorder such as anxiety, OCD, bipolar. I'm worried about passing on my genes. I'm worried about being a good enough mother. I'm worried I'm not going to be able to provide a stable home. What should I do? So I feel like my response is going to be a slightly Debbie Doubter response. There is a risk you're going to pass on your mental health disorder. We know that mental health disorders are genetic. And a mental health diagnosis does not equate to being a bad parent. Mm. I would argue – I mean, all of us on this podcast have openly talked about our own mental health struggles. And I would Mm. argue just based off knowing you all, and I know I'm biased, that we are all pretty good parents. There are obviously things that we can improve on as well. But the fact that so many of you asked this question and are already thinking about it tells me that you are going to pay attention to your mental Mm -hmm. health. Get therapy if accessible to you. Keep your mental health in check so that you you can't change your mental health diagnosis and you can do things to manage, cope with it. But yeah, don't let your mental health diagnosis, if you truly desire to be a parent, hold you back. I would argue if therapy is accessible to you, and this is a concern, get therapy before um, you become a parent to talk about it, Mm -hmm. work through things. Kind of like we talk about a lot in the mental health space, you know, all of us come into this space usually from personal experience and we get our own therapy to be able to serve our clients. Parenting is not the same exact thing, but making sure that you're in a good place to um, parent. But yeah, a diagnosis doesn't hold you back from being a good parent or doesn't have to hold you back. Mm -hmm. And I think it just requires more, a little bit more reflection. So when I'm in a bad mental health day, um, in my own depression, my own my own stuff, I have to I remind myself that I'm not going to be at a hundred percent, and it would just be the same as if I was sick with a cold, and mm-hmm. yep. and that some days are better than others. I mean, when I found out I was pregnant, I threw myself into therapy, which again because it was accessible to me, um, to start processing a lot of that and and making sure that you know. Every parent out there, whether they have a mental illness or not, um, they all got shit and it all impacts our parenting. Um, it's again, it's how we reflect if the, we get curious, like like Dr. J says, and and kind of see like how does my stuff impact my parenting? Um, 
also being aware of how becoming a parent impacts your mental health. So it's not even how my mental health impacts my parenting. It's how becoming a parent also impacts my mental health and making sure that you're also finding the balance in that. I love everything that was said right there. I I really don't have anything to add. I think that wiser words have never been spoken, but I wouldn't yeah, don't don't let any diagnosable disorder stop you from becoming a parent because again, it, a lot of people, especially if you think about all the people that go into the mental health field, what percentage of people that enter as mental health professionals of a diagnosable mental health disorder. I know, right? We we wouldn't have we wouldn't have a mental health field. And and remember that becoming a parent is in you can become a parent in multiple different ways. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, these questions, especially, I don't know what it is about tonight. These questions really they're very really deep, really thoughtful, really mm-hmm. deep. I want to end with this one because I, I just I, I like the energy of it. Robin from Iowa, what are some suggestions to keep a healthy, positive relationship with your adult kids? I have my own ideas, but would love to hear your thoughts. I just love that question. Hmm. I, I have a thought. This is, this is just yeah. one, especially when you're adulting. Listen, all of us can hate to plan out our lives. We can hate to have too much structure, whatever. But I just really like family traditions and mm-hmm. themes in mm-hmm. terms of, again, scheduling gets wild. There's always a million reasons why people can't do things. But I think your best chance to come together is to have those family rituals. Like mm-hmm. we go to this place in the summer. This is the time we do it. I think a lot of families that I see, they try to free wield it a little bit. But at least in getting adults together, this is where I never thought I'd be like a traditional kind of guy. I like the idea of trying to reserve something that could be like a traditional time that we meet up, we connect, and we get together. Like I think those hold real value. And that was, I guess I'm projecting a bit, that was one thing my greater family did every summer. We always we always went to the beach at Ocean Isle Beach. We came together. It was so meaningful to me. Because it was the only time I knew I was going to see my cousins, my uncles. The rest of the year was kind of up in the air. But when you talk about like core memories and things that were like the peak of my entire like childhood into early adulthood, it was knowing I was going to see them and there was some sort of routine around it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think kind of going back to something we've already talked about of recognizing your Kids are going to be their own people, you know, valuing that. Um, I guess also, you know, recognizing they're still your kids, but they're adults now. So, you know, if your kids come home, (laughs) you don't have to parent them like you did when they were 16, allowing that autonomy, but also just like checking in. Like I don't live close to any of my immediate family. Um, My parents and sister live out of state and even just things like checking in, FaceTiming, phone calls, texts, like, you know, reminders that you're thinking of them, you know, planning those vacations if you are able to. Um, Yeah. 
I don't know. There, I, I have so many ideas, but also like none coming at the same time. I'm trying to reflect like what my parents do with me now. I would say one thing that I really appreciate as an adult that I think has helped keep a positive relationship now that we have a child is when my parents come to visit, usually they will allow like one night where they just watch my daughter and my husband and I can go out. And I think that Whoa. has helped not only our relationship, but also my parents get grandparent time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it also helps me too. Like, oh, thank you for doing this. Like they – it communicates to me they see my value as a parent and recognize parents need a break like we had already talked about. And that's been something really helpful for me personally. Any thoughts, KBI? Um, no, I think I, – I mean, I second everything that you are. I mean, my husband's family, we're going to Disney for two weeks. Let's in, go. in May and they do that every couple of years and it's like my husband, his parents, his siblings, their their kids now um, and we all rent two big hotel rooms that have multiple bedrooms in which just kumbaya all, all, <laughs> all for two weeks and we run around and you know we eat dinner together we do all of that um, but I, I think it's also like you, I really want to emphasize that piece of like remembering that your adult children are adults mm. Um. Mm. Like I remember like I remember the first couple times I went home and like being told like, Oh, remember the rule here is to take off your shoes. And I was like I've lived here, I've lived with you for sixteen years of my life. I know mm-hmm. what the rules are. I know to take off my shoes. Um, I know like I remember being, I was right, but I was 25 because I wasn't pregnant with Oliver yet. And I came home at like 2 a.m. And they were waiting up for me. And I'm like, why are you waiting up for me? They're like, well, it's really late. And I'm like, I'm 25. Like, I told you I was going to be out late. So like also letting, like letting them have that autonomy of just being adults. Um, But also like having like, like, regularly get like schedule check-in sometimes like hey like I know we get busy but can we have like every Sunday night can we try to schedule a call that we just check in I want to see how you are can you call me like Mm -hmm. can you call me on your drive home from work if if that's a good time for you like doing that and it being intentional on both sides Mm. I think that that's also Mm -hmm. important totally Totally. It's just, it's just funny how quickly time can pass, though, when it's mm-hmm. like nothing scheduled. There's no sort of mm-hmm. intentionality. There's no routine. It's like I get it now that I wouldn't have got it when I was much younger. Of like the years just yeah. pass. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. I understand and have a lot more respect of why certain traditions mm-hmm. exist. But yeah, adults are adults. We got our own dreams, goals and we're trying to manage, trying to pay rent, especially if you're in California, <laughs> Lord, Lord knows. <laughs> do you do you guys want to know what passes really quickly? Recording this podcast. Ooh. I could not agree more. That was your best it just, transition. It just comes, the end comes so fast and it always makes me so sad because I enjoy talking I with all of you and kind of hearing everybody's perspective. And, you know, the group member questions are always on point. You know, the poll questions, you know, prices, right rules, win. So, but thank you. But thank you guys for joining us this week um, for this episode. We're so excited to talk about it. So, remember, each episode, um, we 
we leave you with a reflection question and that this week it's what is one thing you wish your parent did differently or that you want to do differently as a parent Mm. so make sure you head over to our instagram we post that um a little after the episode is posted on mondays so make sure you just let us know and make sure every episode that you rate subscribe share with a friend share with one of your parent friends or people who you're are interested in becoming parents and we can't wait to see you next week bye guys bye bye